ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris, and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about, you lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation <laughs> sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. <laughs> and Seth Rogen. <laughs> so if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcast everywhere. Acast.com. Hey, listeners. I'm Rob Sachs, Managing Director of Podcasts here at Foreign Policy. And this is Foreign Policy Playlist. This week, we're featuring a new series from the Europeans podcast. It's called This is What a Generation Sounds Like, and it details the lives of young Europeans living across the continent. Before we get into today's featured episode, here's Katz Laszlo and Katie Lee for a preview. I am Katie Lee, and I am one of the co-hosts of The Europeans. And I'm Katz Laszlo, and I'm one of the producers at The Europeans. We launched The Europeans in late 2017, and the idea was just to make European politics and policy feel a little bit less dry and impenetrable. For my co-host and I, it was very strange. We often felt like we knew lots more about US politics than we did about politics in our own regional neighbourhood, and that felt very, very strange. So the idea was just to kind of break down European politics and make it feel accessible and, yeah, just make it feel less dry and boring, really. This episode is part of a series called This Is What A Generation Sounds Like. And basically, as a team, we wanted to hear from different people around Europe about like a personal story that is connected to a larger thing going on in Europe. Something we realized very quickly, I think as a show, we often wondered why there wasn't more European-wide media. Something we realized very quickly is it's often a language thing. People speak a huge amount of languages across the continent. So if we only speak to people who speak English, then we really limit who we can talk to. So we try and do a lot with translation, uh, especially with a longer series like this. It's challenging and also creatively fun to figure out how to do that well in an engaging way. One of the big things that we've really learned about making the Europeans in general is just how EU democracy works. And it is a little bit depressing to think that most citizens, even people who really pay a lot of attention to national politics, are often quite clueless about how these institutions work. And these institutions have a huge amount of power you know, over our lives, over things that we consume, over all kinds of things that affect our daily lives. So wading into that process in some of our other episodes has really been a, a huge journey of discovery for us. So every couple of months for this series, we just release a call out. So we ask people to send a one minute audio pitch in. And it's just, you know, anyone from around Europe under the age of 30 and and then we listened to them all. And so we got this one voice memo and it was from Mohammed, who lives in Amsterdam. And I remember it being quite soft spoken, but we were all immediately captured. And he just talked about what it was like to live in the city without the papers that make our lives very easy. 
Um, and we also saw a huge opportunity because I live in Amsterdam and also so does one of our other producers. And we just really wanted to capture what that was like. And so I spent over the course of months, not full time, but over the course of months, I interviewed Mohammed various times and, you know, went with him just on his daily life. It was quite a classic sort of a day in the life of. So I went with him to an asylum center and just walked around and went to a place where he volunteers and stuff like that. Throughout this series, we work closely with the people whose stories they are to voice them themselves. And I would say it takes a huge amount of extra work in that you have to, you know, script write and then turn it into their voice and all of that. But I think it really uh, just brings a different tone to hear someone telling their own story and to give them that level of agency. If you enjoy the episode that you're about to hear, you might also really like the other episodes in this mini-series. They're from all different kinds of places around Europe, from Albania to the deep south of Italy. And uh, yeah, with the series, we really just wanted to capture the voices of a generation. You'll hear all kinds of different life experiences, people in really super rural areas, people living in cities, people grappling with the, the vulnerabilities of migration to things like uh, the culture of masculinity in southern Italy. So they're really, really worth a listen. That was Kat Laszlo and Katie Lee. And now here's an episode from the Europeans podcast. Dominic. Hi Katie, how's it going? Yeah, good thanks. I am really, really excited to finally put this week's episode out into the world. Yeah, me too. Should we go straight into telling people about it or have you got anything interesting to tell the world before we dive in? Uh, nope, now that the French elections are over, my life is boring again. I have nothing to report. So be my guest, go ahead. That's good news. Um, well, it's the next episode in a series we've been making where our producers work with young Europeans to turn their personal stories into beautiful radio pieces. Yes, the series is called This Is What A Generation Sounds Like, and I think we can now describe it as an award-winning series, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend that you listen to the first three episodes, but it also doesn't matter if you haven't heard them yet. With this series, we want to give young Europeans a platform to tell their stories and hope to bring a bit of intimacy and humanness to some of the huge but often faceless issues that are going on in Europe today. And this week, we are handing over the microphone to a young man named Mohammed. Mohammed is originally from Guinea, and for the past few years, he has been living in Amsterdam, making a life there, despite the fact that he is undocumented. When we first met him, he was having to lie low in order to not be caught by the authorities, because if he was, he'd be sent to the first country he arrived in, in Europe. It's due to an EU law you might have heard of, the so-called Dublin Regulation. Mohammed wants to live in the Netherlands, and he does live in the Netherlands, but as you will hear, however hard he tries, his undocumented status is something that follows him around everywhere. We sent our producer Katz Laszlo to spend some time with him. I always have my alarms on. I always have my alarms on. But just that, I just skip them. Sometimes if I have an appointment in the morning, I can snooze my alarm for like five times. 
waking up and sit on the bed and then, oh shit, I'm undocumented. Shit, 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 life is crazy. Can I say shit? You can say shit. <laughs> but then it will be edited out. No. Okay, shit. Shit, shit. <laughs> yeah, and then that's the time, mostly that's the time that your whole life situation come across. And then you become... <sighs> I just want to sleep. Yeah, but you end up getting up, taking a shower. How do you get yourself out of it? How do you make yourself take the shower? Okay, so I like watching the news, and then it wakes me up. Dozens of Guinea's representative parties... Sometimes I scroll on Facebook to see videos of what is happening in Guinea. It usually helps, but sometimes I just don't want to do it. Eventually, I get up and go about my routine. But still, throughout the day, it's hard to stay motivated. So I find ways to always remind myself. Sometimes it becomes really difficult. I have an alarm at 12 that says, be strong. And I have an alarm at 5.30 that says, less is always enough. I think that's a kind of way that I'm, you know, making myself feel better about things. Be strong. It was a really tough time back when I was going to reapply for my asylum, so I was stressed, so, you know. Be strong. It's December, still locked down. I'm in Flavor Park in Amsterdam East, meeting cats. Oh my God, can you imagine? Cats and I have spent this whole pandemic, almost two years, living very close to one another. We buy our food at the same shops. But this is the first time we're meeting. Together, we are deciding how we are going to tell you my story. I mean, the questions are really good because they help orient me to an answer. But other than that, i really dumb sometimes. Why do you say that? Well, I don't know. If you ask me what I'm going to say, it's like everything revolves around being undocumented. And I don't like that sometimes. For instance, I want to be a stand-up comedian. I actually found a joke yesterday. Can you tell me what your joke is? Uh, so, you know that I've never traveled on an airplane, yeah? And yesterday I realized that if I tell someone the closest I've ever get into a plane is on airplane mode on my phone. <laughs> 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 Fair That's pretty good. On most days, time stretches out. Whether you are in the Dublin procedure or an asylum seeker, you are not allowed to work. It's boring. The waiting can be frustrating. So, I fill up my time with a lot of activities. Mondays, I volunteer for a trauma workshop. Tuesdays, I organize a workout at Klabu, a place where undocumented and documented citizens can have fun together. The last class, we decided to go to a ping pong bar. It was really fun. I was not the best player, but because this is a podcast, I would say I was the best player. (laughs) Me and an Italian friend of mine are also building an app together with some NGOs, an app to collect all the essential information that you need if you arrive in Amsterdam undocumented. When I came the first day, it was raining so much from night to morning. I had this backpack with me with all my properties. And I didn't know where to go. 
So my idea was to look for police. I walked around for hours. I had no idea where anything was in Amsterdam. And I kept ending up on Dam Square. Until finally, somewhere around the red light district, I remember. And I saw a police car stop. I'm like, yes! I came to the lady and I said, hi, I'm an asylum seeker and I, 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 I need help. And I was like, take me in your car, take me to the police station. It was getting late. And she said, no, sorry, we cannot do that. You need to go to the police station. The address is this. She just gave me an address, you know. I didn't even know how this worked at that time. In Guinea, we don't have street names or house numbers. You just go to the nearest square and the person you're meeting just comes to pick you up. Eventually, I made it to the police station inside the Amsterdam Central Station. And I got one of the most humiliating first experience in the Netherlands. Because this policeman that I met decided to search me in front of people sitting in the hallway. He could have taken me into a room, but instead he really questioned me and searched me right there. And I felt really humiliated. Taking my pants out public, where did you get this? Where did you get this? Where did you get this? I almost said, sir, I came to you. I'm not a criminal, but I didn't want to attract negativity. I don't want to be humiliated like that, or anyone else for that matter. That's why I spent a lot of time trying to raise awareness of what life is like for undocumented people and making that life better. One of the biggest problems I see is it's crazy difficult for asylum seekers to get information, and a ton of it is in Dutch. And a lot of time, the people behind the decks have no idea how their own system works. Can you give me an example? Like the doctor. By right, everybody in the Netherlands legally should have right to health care. But then you go to the doctor, tell them, hey, I don't have health insurance. And they say, no, sorry, we can't help you. Undocumented people spend so much time sweating the small stuff. It makes it really hard to, you know, actually build a new life. This is why I give lectures at universities. It's illegal for me to study, but not to lecture. Kind of ironic. But those students are going to become social workers one day. And I want them to be better informed, make better decisions. I think I'm one of the busiest undocumented people. A self-proclaimed title, of course. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing myself. I also need time where I'm not thinking about being undocumented. I love movies also. These are my hobbies. I love movies. I went to the cinemas to watch Dunes and unfortunately, vaccine passes were mandatory at that time. The document followed me around, whether I like it or not. Are you not able to get vaccinated because they don't send you a letter? No, I got vaccinated, but because I don't have a BSN, I cannot get a D-Day, which means I cannot use the Corona app, which means I cannot get a QR code. And without a QR code, I cannot go into indoors events, including cinemas, restaurants. Just yesterday, I was thinking about that, and I realized it's not actually affecting me that much, because mostly I would not definitely spend 20 euros to watch a movie when I can use it to buy food for a week. 
I just feel like I'm left out in a kind of way. Did they let you in? Well, at last, the manager was called. I told him I'm actually vaccinated. Here's a proof of it. I have a paper. Yeah, this is my ID card. My name is Mohammed. And oh yeah, you can come in. But I felt really horrible because everybody behind there was oh undocumented oh, and that's not the kind of way I want to be seen, you know. The weeks are punctuated by Thursday. Thursday is stamp day. And I have to go to the asylum center to get my fingerprint stamped. And uh, if you don't stamp, in the evening the police go to your apartment with a warning paper. And if you do it twice, you get a fine. And on the third time, you are asked to leave. This time, Kat is coming with me. The asylum center is a big gray building complex. A former prison blends in with the gray sky. We weren't allowed to record in there. So instead, we talk as we walk back. In the rain, the wind, through Hirchhochovart. It's a quiet town in the north of the Netherlands, and it took me around six months to learn how to pronounce Hirchhochovart. It's really cold today. It's so cold that for the first time in the Netherlands, I'm feeling the cold on my teeth. <laughs> as we were leaving the asylum center, I bumped into a friend. Congratulations, he just got his documents. He's been undocumented for ages. He recently fell in love, got married, and now he has his residency. I mean, love is blind and can't work in a mysterious way. <laughs> it's not like the U.S. here. I wouldn't just automatically get papers if I marry someone. If you marry for documents, lucky you. If you marry for love, lucky you. Are you in love? Uh, well, 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 am I in love? I wouldn't let Kat record this bit. I'm dating someone and I'm not sure how I feel. I'm trying to be cautious. Got my heart broken a few times. She wants an open relationship. What does that mean, an open relationship? I have no idea. I ask Kat if she knows what it means, and she laughs. Apparently, all her friends are still wondering the same thing. We are on our way back to Amsterdam, watching the endless flat fields from the train filled with wet jackets and steamed-up face masks. I always think uh, undocumented people spend a lot of time trying to find document that by the time they find document they don't know who they are as a person i'm speaking quietly so i don't bother the people on the train but also this is the first time i'm sharing some of my sadness do you understand what i'm saying did it become your identity Katz was wearing a face mask that's why she sounds so muffled yeah it's a main imagine if you could travel back in time and undo, tell yourself, don't go this place, don't do this. Hmm. I would have probably been in Guinea right now, enjoying. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, of course. I, I left Guinea because I had to. But what if I could stop myself from putting myself in a position of having to leave? Go to my young self and tell, don't engage in politics, stay out of it. Go to school, 
follow the current president, don't think about change, stick to your script. Do you remember what you thought about before you thought about documents? When I was in Guinea, I was, I, I don't know, I didn't have any big dreams, maybe just chilling, looking up to the next end of Ramadan feast, going out to nightclub with friends. I was mostly thinking about how to finish university. The point is, education also put me in this. If I was not educated, I would have definitely have less interest in uh, trying to be active in political parties. Yeah. But I don't know. Some people, I just want more. I, I think, and maybe I'm kind of, I'm part of those. I'm just on this podcast for one day. But back in Guinea, I used to co-host a radio show myself, a program for learning English called English is Fun. You are listening to Nostalgy Radio 98.2 FM. English is Fun, a program that is brought On your radio program, you were were encouraging people not to go to Europe. Yeah, I never had the intention of coming to Europe. I hated the fact that a lot of young people are leaving Guinea. And I thought... If all the young generations of people that are strong and energetic leave, I felt that this is bad. At that time, there were a lot of casualties at sea. People were dying a lot. And we had to come up with something to encourage people. So what we talked about was the impact of people leaving, you know, and what you could do back at home. Mm. And then that shifted at some point. Yeah, okay, the the reality hit me exactly when I was in the boat. I'm like, oh my God, I was there telling people not to go and here I am today. Going against the fundamental principle of being the king that you want to see. Alarms. <laughs> Which one is this alarm? So this is my 12 o'clock alarm, be strong. Every 12 o'clock, I tell myself to be strong. Yeah. So you were on the boat, and what was going through your head? We had water entering in the boat, women crying, even older people crying. And in that moment of silence, start to think. Probably going to die. Yeah. But I survived, and... My advice would be to people still don't leave. The crossing from Morocco to Spain was terrifying. I tried to cross three times. I remember the first time when we were almost at the seashore and I could hear the voo. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. But you cannot go back because you have these Moroccan guys with knives if you try to leave. They say we'll kill you. And who are these guys? The smugglers. Mm. So you're in between the monster and the deep blue sea. There is a ton of misinformation. It is just really confusing. So they tell you when you're getting on the boat that when you're going to Europe, you should follow the dolphins. But there's also these myths that if you point at the dolphin, they will swim away. But when someone Oh, everybody say, hey, don't point at the dolphins, you idiots. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes, don't point out the dolphins. The first time also the sea was very rough. We went for the whole day. There was a lot of water in the engine and it just stopped. So we started drifting. Luckily, we were still close to the shore, close enough to call for rescue. But by the time the rescue came, it was already becoming very dangerous. But they came, they came. You have so many moments where you almost died mm -hmm. that are terrifying. Yeah. What kept you trying? To be honest enough, I think it's just become suicidal at the end. I really, because if someone is to put me in this experience, I'll never do that anymore. I mean, the stress, the trauma and everything might have made me just give up and you know what, I don't care. Because I couldn't go back to Guinea. I had no future in Morocco. And there was a slight chance that I would have a better life in Europe. So, and was willing to risk everything just to have that little bit of taste of that, how to keep that hope going. Yeah. I hope people that will listen to this will know that we risk our life to get a taste of lifestyle that they have, the stability that they have. And we're not here to take jobs. We come with a gift of diversity, curious, willing to learn and ready to share. This is where you could end my story. Crossing stories are always traumatic and dramatic. And well, plenty of people I met didn't make it. But the thing is, I feel far more traumatized by what came after the crossing. There we were. We'd finally made it to Europe, to Spain. We were given food, clothes, locked up in a prison for three days. But we were not harmed. But then... Like went for three days, could not sleep. And until I came to the Netherlands, I could not sleep for a very long time. What but was happening? Were you just, were you just, your head was spinning? Couldn't, couldn't sleep. Went to the doctor and everything. I think I was traumatized. Let's call it what it is. And right then, that is when it started. What is the next step? This question keeps popping. That's when undocumentedness starts. Keep popping, keep thinking, what is the next step, what is the next step? Constant worrying, constant decision making. Am I going to get deported? When will I be safe here? So I started thinking of where to go. I wanted to go to Norway, as far as possible from Guinea. And then one day I was sitting out in a bench. These people from the church, Jehovah's Witness, they came to me. Hello, my name is this and this. I'm from the Netherlands. Like, hmm, Netherlands. Good, she speak good English. The next thing that I know, I'm going to the Netherlands. What did you know about the Netherlands before you came here? Oh, oh my God, they overbranded the country. 
And I bought into that writing on the internet that Dutch people are the happiest people in the world. I'm like, okay, if they're the happiest, I looked at security, they're like, the Netherlands is so secured that prisons are closing. I'm like, shit, this is the safest country. <laughs> And then, stupid me, I did not take into account that I am not a tourist. So these are stuff that are written on the internet for tourists. Started watching videos online of do's and don'ts of the Netherlands. Don't walk on the bicycle lane. If you go to the red light district, don't take photos. I'm like, okay, I will not go there anyway, but thanks for letting me know. It's a very beautiful country, happy people, prisons are closing. I'm going there. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, and then I came. Yeah. Like any home, I have a lot of feelings about Amsterdam. Some good, some bad. I've had a terrible time with basically all of the formal asylum-seeking processes. It breaks my heart that they know that we need help. Then being like a robot, like a machine that is just, I can do this, I cannot do this. The hoops we have to jump through, the bureaucracy that makes even going to the cinema difficult. Not only feeling unwanted, but knowing you're literally not wanted. And to top it all off, the asylum system has been designed to make me want to go back. To give up, even though I've been through hell to get here. So many of us have died trying. And well, we can't go back. And if I don't get accepted, then all that risk was for nothing. It's so undignified. But I really love it here. I think um, you're becoming a bit of a Dutch person. Well, make sure a Dutch person tell me. And I have to say, do we? The first time I was on an escalator was in the Netherlands. I went up. I told the guy, bro, I need to do it again. Went down and then came back up. Should have seen this guy was laughing at me. Oh my god, really? Like, yeah, bro. This is the first time I've seen this in a lot of movies, American movies, going to the mall, taking the stairs. And I'm here, and it was at Divendrecht station. It's really fun. For what it's worth, I'm also fighting for betterment in the Netherlands. Making them remember. Okay, cannot say it that way, but... I like the fact that I get to say whatever I want to say. As long as I'm not being discriminatory. I can insult the government, tell them how racist they are. But I've been put in prison for it. These kind of little freedoms for me means a lot that I get to speak out. I've built a life here. I've made a ton of friends through my activism. Soon I've got my interview coming up to formally apply for asylum in the Netherlands. They haven't given me a date and I've been waiting seven months already. Another hope. I've actually been running through both outcomes in my head. If I get accepted or if I get rejected. But both scare me. If I have a residency permit, I would have to put more effort into going to school, maybe starting a life. It's a scary I don't know if I'm ready for it. After years of not being allowed to study, to work, 
to rent a home? Will it really be easy to actually live out all of my dreams? But at the other side also, I'm really tired of being undocumented and cannot really go anymore with this uncertainty and it's a very difficult lifestyle. I have no idea what to expect, whether I'll be able to keep and build on my life here. They will decide whether or not it is worth worth it. Being undocumented sucks, but it has made me realize a lot of stuff. It's a learning experience. So my advice would be to each and every one to be undocumented for at least a year. And they could give me their documents and I'll use it to live their lifestyle for a year and then we can come and discuss and share ideas. <laughs> A week before we published this episode, Mohammed rang me up. He'd been called in for his asylum interview. So he went in. He was interviewed for eight hours. And two sleepless nights later, he got the result. Hey, guess who just got their papers? Oh my God, I got a positive from the IND. Can you imagine? Yes! That was the Europeans podcast. Our thanks to Katz Laszlo and Katie Lee for speaking with us and for letting us feature this episode. And that's all for Foreign Policy Playlist. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you want to suggest a great podcast, email us at podcasts at foreignpolicy.com. Our show is produced by Zabon Perez, Maria Jimena Aragon, and Rosie Julin. I'm Rob Sachs. Thanks so much for listening. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about, you lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. (laughs) And Seth Rogen. (laughs) So if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.